Today I want to continue the teaching series in the series of Worship 101. I want to talk to you guys about something I'm calling Dave Amaya Worship. Dave Amaya Worship. So far in this four-week series, this is the last of the series, uh, we've talked about, first of all, worship being an invitation, invitation into the presence of God. Worship is an invitation to be a part of the people of God, invitation to do something with your faith. You have an internalized faith. It gets out when we worship God. We've talked about worship and the pleasure of worship, the profound kinds of pleasure that we can have as individuals worshiping God, and that God made us for pleasure. And this is a pure pleasure. This is not a corrupt pleasure, but it's a wonderful pleasure to worship God, and that's valid motivation to worship God is just the pleasure you get from it. We've talked about last week, then worship is also a matter of getting a grip. Getting a grip on the edge of Jesus' robe and the healing, the power, the strength that can come from that. That being a disciple of Jesus Christ means to live that out with your hand on the hem. Yeah? And that worship is a chance to just stop the world for a second and say, hold it, I've got to get a better grip. I've got to get a better grip. Well, uh, I have a question for you. We've been through this three weeks of worship series. How many of you say that you love to worship God? How many of you, I said, (laughs) would say that you love to worship God? There you go. How many of you love it when the band plays the first note and you sing and worship and are kind of sad when the last note is played? All right. Now, I have a question for you. How many of you do not? Raise your hand. It's not a trick. I know you're here. I know you're here. I know that some of you are, thank you, Ron. It's like, it's not that I have anything against the music in that part of the worship, but how many of you are sitting here going, you know? Thank you, Brian. I won't smoke you out, Brian. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Okay. And you're going like, you know, I'm certainly going to be respectful. I'm not going to sit there and go, oh my gosh, not another song for crying out loud. But, you know, you kind of maybe lean up against the chair in front of you when that's going on. You know, you don't have anything against it, but there's not a lot going on. So you're in here, right? There's only three of you brave enough to self-identify. But I know there are more of you here who go, you know, yeah, it's okay. You know, but I don't, I'm not going to bring a flag anytime soon, I don't think. I, you're here. And I want to thank you for being here. And I want to answer your question that you're asking yourself inside of you. Like, is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with me that I don't apparently get what all these other people who are stomping and shouting and dancing and something wrong with me and I have two two answers maybe (laughs) it's possible yeah it's possible that you're resisting it's possible but I have another answer you ready maybe not maybe that's how God has hardwired you maybe there's another way to look at worship that validates the way you approach this whole thing. 
I'm not looking to give excuses to people who should be moving in the realm of expressive worship, but I am absolutely looking to validate some of you who have been designed by God to worship him in another way. You interested? Really begins with the question, what is worship? By definition, worship is attributing worth to God. It comes from an old English word, worthship, which means to attribute worth to God. So that when we sing, raise our hands, clap, dance, hoop, holler, many of us, for many of us, this is a way that we attribute worth to God. We're singing many of our songs, whether they're contemporary songs or old hymns, find their basis in the scriptures themselves, which is the word of God, declaring his worth. And so we're attributing worth to God. But commonly, I think you'll agree that worship is most commonly thought of that narrow band of songs and living rituals, maybe hearing the word of God, that we do in the context of a worship service. When... uh, If you think of how little of our time is actually spent doing that in comparison to the 168 hours a week that we have, we would would come away really from from an analysis saying, boy, we don't really worship very much, do we? And in that case, worship becomes something we do, and then we stop doing. We come together. Are you ready to worship? Yeah! Yeah! And we sing, and we dance, and we listen, and we respond. And then we go home as though now it's time to stop worshiping, right? But I'll be back. I'll be back same time. Next week, we'll worship again. But don't we want to really spend our lives attributing worth to God? We want to spend our whole 168 hours, don't you? I want to worship wherever I am. Is that possible? Absolutely. So I want to talk about a different side of worship. Because if you enter into the consideration of Scripture in the New Testament, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, Romans in your New Testament chapter 12 and verse 1, Romans 12 and verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And then it says, this is your spiritual act of worship. Romans 12, verse 1. I urge you, brothers, that in view of God's mercy, that all of our worship is going to be a response to our understanding of God's mercy. You know that we're here today because of God's mercy, right? It's just His mercy. No one has earned their way into the presence of God, but Jesus earned our way in by his perfection. And he rescued us. And as we cling to him in faith, then it's the mercy of God accepts us into his presence also, and he looks at us in the same way. Ephesians chapter 1 says that when he sees us, Rachel, he sees you spotless and without blemish because you're clinging to Christ. For me, that's a lot of mercy. So in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That sounds like a lot, doesn't it? 
offer your body as a living sacrifice. Now we know that no one has to be offered, their body doesn't have to be offered up to God as a, like a human sacrifice. But the point is made, isn't it? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, in view of God's mercy, because you've been made holy by His blood. And this is your spiritual act of worship. This is worship. To give your whole self to God. Now, I think what we need to do is we need to recognize that our spiritual act of worship is to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And this is in part, an acknowledgement of the Old Testament sacrificial system. We've been there and study that in the Old Testament, the people were made right with God, and part of their worship, their temple worship, was to offer certain animal sacrifices. And so when the New Testament says, in view of God's mercy, which is the cross, in view of Christ, don't, he says, don't take that out of the equation, in view of what Jesus did as the perfect sacrifice, then offer your body as a living sacrifice, your whole self. It's an understanding of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So what you're doing, listen very carefully to this part, when you're coming to worship God and saying, I want to bring my body as a living sacrifice, you're not doing that in order to be made right with God as though by doing that you will earn His favor. That has already been done for you. In view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, that because of what Jesus has already done for you, now come and respond to that by saying, I'm all yours. Do with me what you want, Lord. In view of your mercy, I want to bring my body, myself, my life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because this is my worship. It's a whole life commitment to living in a posture of worship. So today I'd really like to focus on those of you who by God's design are more engaged in worship by your actions of service to God as opposed to your songs that some other people may enjoy singing to God. And I'm not saying you don't find value in singing songs to God, but I'm saying that there are some people in here who by design your act of worship may not be to sing and dance in the way that you see others but in your acts of service rendered in gratitude to the God who saved you. Are you interested? i got Bible to back it up, baby. So I prayed and I asked God for a good way from His Word to explain this validation. And the first thing that came to my mind was the whole Mary and Martha thing, right? Some of you are newer to the Bible and you don't you may not know that there's a place in the Gospel of John where these two sisters, Mary and Martha, invited Jesus into their home. And Jesus sat down in the living room, a bunch of people around him. One of the sisters, Mary, sat at his feet. Martha's in the kitchen making sandwiches. Why? Because 14 people just showed up at the house, right? Somebody's got to make those sandwiches, right? Okay. Take note if you're really strongly agreeing with this right now. All right? And so at one point, then Martha becomes all worked up, you know, and comes out and says, Jesus, there's a little bunch to do out here, and she's sitting there. Tell her to come out and help me. Jesus said, no, I'm not going to do that. And this tension arises. 
and this tension arises. But if you read that carefully and if you really consider what happens and is being said, Martha is not at all criticized for what she's doing. But Mary, he says, Mary has chosen what is better for Mary and it will not be taken from her. Martha was not being criticized for being nervous and worried about making all this stuff. It's just that Jesus was not going to take something away from Mary that she was wired to do. But he never criticized Martha. Somebody recently told me that they heard a message that, that, that said, that the, that said the, only thing, the only thing that Martha really did wrong was not invite Jesus to bring the whole gang into the kitchen. Because she was rendering her worship. She was rendering her worship. A better question might have been, hey, Jesus, could you bring everybody in here so I can hear while I'm making you sandwiches? But I wasn't happy with the Mary and the Martha thing for one reason is that we guys don't connect with that. It's been my experience that if I preach to women, men don't listen. But if I preach to men, women will listen. So I felt very insecure coming to you saying, so are you more of a Mary or a Martha, John? Because we don't want to buy into that paradigm at all, do we? So I prayed to God, I said, is there some other, some other biblical illustration that I could, I could have from your spirit, Lord, that would help this? And what immediately came to my mind were, was the distinct differences in the way two figures whose lives are recorded in the Old Testament actually approach their worship, David and Nehemiah. I want you to think about this with me. David, King David, is pretty well known for his worship stuff, Right? Anybody get to the Psalms yet? That, that big book in the middle with all those poems and songs to God, and many of them were written by David, and it's clear that he's got a short worship fuse, right? It sure is. He's got it going on. He was a very demonstrative worshiper. How many of you have read the book of Nehemiah? And you see that there's something else going on there. And Nehemiah was this very important character in the Old Testament who doesn't have a lot of record of, you know, the dancing and the jumping and the shouting and the singing, but in the, about the 5th century B.C., he took up the mammoth task of rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem after 70 years of captivity in Babylon. And what you need to know is that that was Nehemiah's act of worship. That was Nehemiah's act of worship. And he said to King Artaxerxes back in Babylon, he said, he said, my city, the city of my God, is in ruins. Ezra had already gone to rebuild the temple, but there was no wall. It was very vulnerable. The city of my God lays in ruins. He says, please let me go. Please let me go from captivity and take some people with me so that I can rebuild the wall to my God. And that was his act of worship. And he was used by God to command a project of rebuilding and restoring the wall around Jerusalem so that the city of God could be restored. And that was his act of worship, to rebuild that wall. Who's the greater worshiper, David who sings and dances, or Nehemiah who gives his life to rebuild that wall as an act of worship to his God? You hearing me? Are you hearing me? Okay. 
Well, when it comes down to it, David was a dancer and Nehemiah was a servant. 2 Samuel chapter 6, some of you know about this. I just love this passage. And the Ark of the Covenant is coming back to Jerusalem after it's been stolen back from those Philistines, right? And David's leading the way, and he's so excited about it coming back that he starts dancing. Just like that. He starts dancing and worshiping God and ripping off his clothes, strips down to his ephod, down to his onesie. He's out there in a unitard, just dancing away. <laughs> and his wife gets pretty upset about this whole thing. But he said, I will be even more undignified than this, because this is the way I worship God. So that's the characteristic of David as the dancer. To understand Nehemiah, there's really no one place I could point it to. You have to read all 13 chapters to really get the flow of the way that Nehemiah worked this whole thing out. But what I want you to know that it's very important to note that Nehemiah's work for the Lord in terms of building this wall is interwoven with everything from very earnest prayer to caring for the poor. So that his hands were always in motion for God at his act of worship, as an act of worship. But I think that Nehemiah gives us an entirely fresh model for authentic worship. It's something that's based on service to God. And it's a valid form of worship. And so for those of you who would say, you know, given the choice, I think I would rather go feed the homeless than sing a song with y'all. That it would be more gratifying and, and more fulfilling as a wor- act of worship to God to go to Appalachia and paint some houses than it would be to come in here and watch y'all sing and dance and wait for Tom to talk. If that's you, I want to validate that. I want to validate that as a way that God has made you as a worshiper. And I want to thank you for putting up with us Davids. Is anybody feeling this? Now, if that's you, I want to underscore the fact, again, that your acts of service as the dance, must be done in response to what God has done and not to try to earn His favor. His favor has been earned through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. Worship is is responding to that and celebrating that. And it's, uh, it's the person, really, I'm talking to today who experiences levels uh, or senses the presence of God in the midst of loving service. I've seen some of you do it. I've been on some of those trips with you. I've gone out on Tuesday nights with you guys who love the homeless and seen the way that you relate to them. And I can see that you are in the presence of God when you are giving out sandwiches and hats and stuff like that at the stops as much as I am in the presence of God when I'm a-jumping and a-dancing. And I think it's all right for us to validate each other, don't you? Because God makes us unique. It's the person who experiences levels of worship and caring for the homeless. I've seen some of you guys at South Point over there at Grocery Giveaway. I've seen you. And I've seen you in worship. And I don't keep notes like, well, hey, they don't raise their hands in worship, but they do go to the Grocery Giveaway. (laughs) I don't do that. 
And Karen will testify, my memory's so short, I wouldn't remember anyway. And then I'd lose what I wrote down, so it wouldn't matter. But I just want to say to you, I've seen you guys experience God by doing. And as long as you're not doing to gain God's approval, but you're doing it in response to the grace of God, that's a valid form of worship. I've seen you guys in the presence of God on a mission trip. I've seen you guys in the leper colony with me in India, handing out blankets. I've seen the presence of God. I've seen you in the presence of God when you're doing that. I've seen you in the presence of God when I poke my head back in some of those children's ministry classes and seeing you worshiping God by taking care of those kids. Now, it's not all of you. Some of you are waiting for me to say, what are you doing out here? Shouldn't you be in there finishing service up so I can get the heck out of here? But I'm just saying, are you hearing me? I've seen some of you worship God as these chairs are stacked every Sunday. I've seen you. After the 11 o'clock service, every one of these chairs is stacked up. Why? To make room for everything God wants to do in this room all week long. And I've seen you worship God in the midst of that. So, really, what I'd like to do is to make a graphic comparison between David and Nehemiah, and it's something I'm calling the Devamiah worship scale. All right? I've copyrighted it, Dr. Thomas E. Paquette. Somebody asked me yesterday if I'd ever write a book, and I said no. And I got thinking about that afterwards, and I thought, well, I should probably copyright it anyway. Somebody will steal this. I'm just kidding. That's supposed to be entirely funny, but will be removed between services. <laughs> Let's think about David and his worship style. David, he was an easy starter. David was about the dance, right? And Nehemiah was about service. David was an easy starter. Man, he just had, you can just tell. Just read. Read through his life. He was an emotional person. He was a lavish lover, right? He loved God. He would just lay out his love for God. He would be vulnerable in the things that he would say and do in his expression of God. He was uninhibited, right? There, he had no... In, I mean, if you're going to strip down to your underwear in front of everybody just to worship God, you, you, that's, that's uninhibited, right? I mean, even Rich wouldn't do that, right? Am I right, Rich? All right. Uh, and, and, and David brought a sacrifice of praise. This is the basis of David's worship is called a sacrifice of praise. It's a phrase from the book of Hebrews. And so it was an expression of praise. His sacrifice was praise, praising God. I'm offering this to you. And that he found satisfaction in expression. David seemed to find fulfillment. I've worshipped God if he's expressed himself. Now let's look at Nehemiah on the other side. Nehemiah, as opposed to being an easy starter, was a hard worker. Right? I think if you just compare, I'm not saying David didn't work hard, but I'm saying if you characterize these people, David was an easy starter. Nehemiah was a hard, hard worker. Chuck Swindoll's commentary, on uh, his old commentary on the book of Nehemiah is a phrase that Karen, my wife Karen, loves. It's entitled, Hand Me Another Brick, right? And this is, this is a distinction somewhat between Karen and me, if you know us. You know, I'm the dancer and she's the hand me another brick. Let's get this thing done, right? 
Are you hearing me or not? Okay. He was a hard worker. He was a productive servant. That Nehemiah got stuff done. It's an amazing thing just to look at the way that he got this stuff done in the book of Nehemiah. How he organized, how he inspected, how he fought off enemies and opposition. It's an amazing thing. Nehemiah was conservative compared to uninhibited. Where, where David just seemed to be lavish and off the hook. Nehemiah was conservative and calculating. And he was figuring. And he offered, Nehemiah offered a sacrifice of service. While David was about, here's my sacrifice of praise. Nehemiah was, I'm building this wall for you, Lord. It was a sacrifice of his life for service. And uh, I think that Nehemiah, if you read that, found satisfaction in accomplishment. That at the end of the day, he felt as though he'd worship God if there had been progress on the wall, if a gate had been restored. Are you hearing me? Now I want you just to look at these two guys. You've got David on one end of the spectrum, who's the dancer. You've got Nehemiah, who's the servant. They're each worshiping God according to his own unique design, yes? According to unique design. In a perfect world, I think we would all do, do well to live in the, right in the middle, and we're going to call that guy Devamiah. Devamiah worship. I think in a perfect world, we would have dynamics of both, of each, I should say, moved into the middle, don't you? That we would be free to express our love and praise to God, but we would also be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And so I think, in a sense... Both sides, however you would characterize yourself, wherever you would put yourself on this scale, I think each, both sides have a responsibility to move toward the middle. A responsibility. Because i got to tell you something. Some of you dancers, when it comes to stacking chairs, you're not worth the powder it takes to blow you up. Don't think I'm not watching. I stack chairs too. I have seen a group of dancers standing there talking after the service or sitting together in the chairs talking after the service and they're down to the last freaking chairs in the room and they had to be asked, could you please get up? Hello? It's time for both ends to wake up. Move to the middle. But in reality, I simply want to ask you, if you have a default side, one side that you tend to be, I want you to think about it for a minute. I hope there are elements of both sides in your life that you would all be Dave Amaya's. But in reality, we're not. And I want to validate, I want to validate the Nehemiahs today. And thank you for being patient with us because our style of worship, the song and the dance part of worship, is very Davidic in nature, isn't it? But look at the, what the rest of this church does every day of every week. And you're the hands and the feet of Jesus, right? So I just want you to look up there, back up on that scale for me once, please. 
And I want you to decide, decide, if I had to pick, I'd probably be by nature, my default mode. Would you be more David or would you be more Nehemiah? On the count of three, I want you to answer the question, one, two, three. I'd like all the Nehemiahs to raise their hands. All right, that was a trick. Come on up now. Oh, no, we don't come up. That's what the Davids, yeah, you're coming up. I, I know who you are. No, 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 no. We're, we're Nehemiahs. We, we don't go up. We don't, you don't understand. Yeah, I know who you are now. Come on. Come on. Come on up here. There's too many of you. Come on up here. Come on. Come on. Keep coming. No, we would never go on the stage unless I had a sweeper in my hand. Come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Jim, Jim said I also got you to raise your hands. How about that? Come on. Come on. Just come on up. Look at the massive number of you. This church is divided right down the middle. And it's not that you're saying that you don't have elements of the David in you. Of course you do. But you're saying, if Jesus said pick one or the other, you'd say, I find worship in the doing. Is that what you're saying? That means you are the hands of Jesus. Yeah, the hands of Jesus. See all those dancers out there? Yeah. We need them too, right? We need them too. When Israel went out to war, they sent Judah out in front of them. They were the, they were the praisers. They go out in front. They sound the trumpet. They sing the song. And you come in with the sword or the trowel. And you do the work. It's worship. It's worship. So I want you to let yourself off the hook for going, I don't know if I'm ever going to feel this thing that gets you dancing. I don't know if you will or not. You're Nehemiah's. I want to invite you to be sure you're expressing all that's inside of you to the Lord so those elements of David can come out. But I just want to validate who you are from a biblical perspective and say that when you do the stuff in response to what Christ has done, in response to what Christ has done for you. You are as fully engaged in worshipers than these crazy people who are running around here with stuff, all right? And to be perfectly honest with you, I didn't think there were going to be this many of you. <laughs> so my plan was to ask you guys to pick up, go to the four corners of the church and pick up the communion elements and actually serve those. But I don't know how we're going to do that. So, <laughs> if y'all, uh, Lord, <laughs> this would be a really good time for you to say something. <laughs> nice. Nice. What is your name? Tim? Timothy. Timothy says, let's make lines down the aisle and you'll just 
You won't move. You'll just pass it one to another. Go make lines down the five aisles of this church. Nice, Tim. <laughs> now I want some of you Nehemiahs, when you make the lines, the one on the end, to go to the go to the tables in the back and the tables in the front and get the bread and just start passing it down and passing it down the rows. And then I want you to get the cup and I want you to pass it down the line, pass it through the rows. I want you to use your hands to carry the body and blood of Jesus.
Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. He gave his life as the perfect sacrifice. He was the perfect Lamb of God. God in the flesh laid down his right to be God, to come and live among us, to bless us, to teach us, to be power among us. Gave his life on the cross and ascended to the Father who sent the Holy Spirit whose presence you are now discerned. Jesus, while he was with his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. Then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of your sins as often as you drink of it this do in remembrance of me